So this is not part of my sermon, but it's a confession up top. Uh, I was feeling pretty broken up while I was reading that gospel. And um, it's because uh, the last church I served in was actually composed of quite a number of refugees who had lost everything for the sake of the gospel. And just this week, one of my dear friends there, Adnan, had emailed me and told me that his um, cousin's house had been burned down. His family had been murdered for the sake of the gospel. And so while those words that you will be hauled before kings and governors and will be imprisoned and suffer death may not be true for those of us here, they are very true for our brothers and sisters around the world. And so I'm going to begin by praying for Adnan and his family. Lord God, we confess that we do not always hear these words as piercingly as we should. Lord God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are scourged and pierced and beaten and who have lost everything for the sake of you. Lord God, be near to those who suffer. Amen. Whew. <laughs> Suddenly this pivot feels pretty hard. Okay. So my name's Katie. We'll start light. My name is Katie. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, some of you know this, some of you don't, but I grew up uh, about two hours north of here near Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yes, where all the chocolate is made and the air smells like chocolate. Uh, but Hershey also has an amusement park called Hershey Park. And when I was growing up, my dad's workplace would always give us uh, discounted tickets so our whole family could go. It was like a once a year thing because even then amusement parks were outrageously expensive. And um, I always looked forward to going on the roller coasters with my brother. We were like the only two family members who enjoyed roller coasters. And so I always looked forward to every year, the two of us being, having a chance to go on roller coasters. And um, my favorite part like, of the first ride was when they would like, crank you up to the top and you'd be sitting there and waiting for the operator to like, pull the lever so you'd hurtle down the hill. And I loved that moment where I would just like, look out on the vista of Pennsylvania, which is so beautiful, and I would just like, feel all that anxiety and excitement kind of all mixing together in my stomach. And then I would like, you know, scream and hold the handlebar the whole way down. Um, but there was something that I always loved about that moment at the crest of the hill. It was like that great combination of excitement and fear all jumbled together. And I wonder if that's a bit how the disciples who are hearing Jesus' words to us today felt. They've quickly shifted from him telling us about all the great work that they're going to do, works of healing and teaching and deliverance, and they're thrilled to be finally participating in the work of their master. And then he turns around and he says, but I am sending you like sheep into the midst of wolves. At this point, they're probably wishing that they could raise their hand and be let off this ride, like my sister always did. She would raise her hand like right when they were like ready to get going and she'd be like, let me off. That's probably how the disciples felt. This ride suddenly has far more curves and loops than they had ever imagined signing up for. Because by this point in Matthew's telling, Jesus has escaped the massacre of the infants in Bethlehem. He's been a refugee in Egypt. 
He's battled wits with Satan in the wilderness. He's been accused by the leaders, the Pharisees, of blasphemy and of being in league with Satan. And of course, we know the rest of the story. Jesus was absolutely right. Many of the early disciples of Jesus, in fact, most of the 12, are going to be beaten, imprisoned, and killed. I wonder then why, when I was reading this passage this week, I didn't have that same feeling of unease that the disciples did. I was reflecting and I thought, well, it's actually probably because I live in a country where I don't expect to ever face imprisonment or death for my faith. But then when I was thinking about it a bit more, I realized that there was another reason, and I wonder if this might be true for you. And that is perhaps because I'm not actually having the sorts of risky conversations and encounters that would actually open me up to the possibility of being laughed at, insulted, criticized, or treated unjustly. I know there are lots of reasons for me and for you that that might be the case, but to be a follower of Jesus means that we are always concerned with inviting others to follow him. In some ways, the stuff of our earth is just the material that God uses to invite other people into his life. Our jobs, our families, all of it is just the fodder that Jesus uses. It's the landscape that he uses to invite people in. But that's all just extra. It's the places where we serve God, and that's important. But we serve God so that others might know him and might see the good work that we do and be attracted to the God that is behind that good work. But in order to be those sorts of people who are willing to have risky conversations, then we need to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. That's another way of saying we need to be prudent. We don't just blunder into every conversation assuming that somebody wants to hear about Jesus. Most of our neighbors probably don't. So instead, at every moment, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to discern when to speak and when to stay silent. Because sometimes all somebody wants is just to have their story heard. And once that has happened, then they are ready for questions and for having the way to life pointed out. Prudence also means avoiding conflict and attacking other when it's absolutely possible. There are times when you will need to speak into someone's life, to speak a word of correction or rebuke, but to be honest, in my experience, even as a pastor, I have to work really hard to find that right moment. And it's not, and it's rare, it's rare when I am in the right spot to be able to say something like that. And so I think we need to be very, very careful about when and how we rebuke and correct others. But then finally, being prudent means that we're not overly cautious. We don't use our fear as an excuse for not speaking or acting when we should. It's certainly not an excuse to not be bold. Prudence just requires that we discern when to be bold and how to be bold. 
We are not the wolves in this story, tearing others apart. We are the sheep, the servants of a master shepherd who is overflowing with loving kindness and compassion, even towards us, his enemies. But the unavoidable truth of Matthew's gospel is that we are a call to announce Jesus' lordship over everything, over every aspect of our lives with our words and our deeds. And fulfilling that cost, call will be costly, and anyone who says otherwise is not telling the truth. And so when we have been treated unjustly for the sake of Jesus, or we're feeling discouraged or cut off from our closest friends and family, then we will need prayers like those from Jeremiah 20 and Psalm 69. These are honest prayers. Jeremiah and the writer of Psalm 69 don't pretend that they're doing all right. They're brutally honest about just how much they're suffering for the sake of Christ. I don't know if you caught it, but Jeremiah actually accuses God of causing his suffering, which is so bold and so honest and so true to how we feel most days. And then he calls on God to save him. They ask God to search them and reveal any ways that they have sinned. They proclaim their trust in God's character despite their circumstances. And I think that these prayers can help us too when we are facing persecution and misunderstanding for the sake of the gospel. These prayers can help us process the pain of being estranged from those we love. They can teach us how to endure persecution. They teach us that it's important to examine our own hearts and minds to see if there is any unjust way in us even as we are pointing out the injustices of others. These prayers remind us to pray for those who might be suffering from doubt or despair because they're witnessing our suffering. And they remind us not to direct our complaints to our neighbors and our friends in the church who cannot vindicate or save us, but to direct our complaints and our prayers to the only one who can save us. As I was reflecting on this, I thought that this was a passage that especially merited giving us some time for self-reflection. And so that's how I'm going to close my sermon today. I'm going to give you three reflection questions that are drawn from today's passages, and then I'm going to close us with a prayer from Psalm 69. I invite this to be a time where you invite God to search and know you, to speak the words of correction that cannot or should not be offered by those around you who do not know how you are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so let us hear from God to us. Jeremiah speaks of the word of God becoming like a burning fire in his bones that he cannot hold in. The psalmist says that his enthusiasm for the house of God is eating him up from the inside. Do you receive these words as an encouragement 
or a challenge. I invite you to talk to God about that. Jesus says that we should be as cunning as serpents and as innocent as doves towards those who persecute us. Which one of these is more difficult for you? I invite you to confess that to the Lord. Jesus said, don't be afraid of people. They can only kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. When two birds are sold, two birds only cost a penny. But not even one of the little birds can die without your father knowing it. God even knows how many hairs are on your head, so don't be afraid. You're worth much more than many birds. How might your fear of people keeping you, how might your fear of people keep you from being known as a servant and student of Jesus?
And now from Psalm 69. In your great mercy, O God, answer me with your unfailing help. Save me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Let me be rescued from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the torrents of waters wash over me, neither let the deep swallow me up. Answer me, O Lord, for your love is kind. In your great compassion, turn to me. Amen. <laughs> 